Hi, I'm David Freudberg from Humankind. A question has been missing from the American discussion about health care, and it's this. What is the role of a natural approach to health that focuses on the whole person, mind, body, and spirit? Because the human being is so much more than a collection of body parts. We try to answer this question in the series you're about to hear. It's provided to you free of charge. We'd like to produce new content on this theme, too, but we need your help. To donate, please click on the How You Can Help section at the top of our homepage. It's humanmedia.org. Thank you. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston. This special documentary project, The Search for Well-Being, is supported by the Middleman Family Foundation and a special grant from the Henry Luce Foundation. People want to be treated like a person. They want to be understood much more than a diagnosis or a disease or a syndrome. For a new era in healthcare, some emerging opportunities to treat the whole person. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. With a reputation for being colorful, candid, and tireless in his dedication, physician Thomas Scalia takes an unusual approach to his hospital patients. Uh, the first thing I do is I say good morning to every patient when I walk in by name, even if they are comatose. I don't know that they can't hear me. I um, always touch them. I touch everyone because I absolutely believe that that helps. Dr. Scalia views patients as more than an assemblage of body parts, even though in the Baltimore hospital where he is physician-in-chief, patients usually arrive in a state of serious, sometimes critical, disrepair. This is the Cowley Shock Trauma Center at the University of Maryland. They see the highest number of patients of any trauma center in the United States. People are rushed here when they've been in terrible accidents or after they've been shot or when they're suffering from other severe conditions. The atmosphere is high stakes. What happens is when you get badly injured, you turn on a bunch of pathways in your body that make many substances which are designed to um, help you respond to the stress of injuries. This inflammatory response is the body's natural reaction to trauma. But inflammation can be dangerous if it comes on at too high a level or if it lasts too long. So doctors carefully monitor a patient's inflammatory response and, if necessary, try to modulate it with medication. But side effects from the drugs can be dangerous, too. The head of the hospital at one of our meetings uh, came up to me and he said, you know, we've got a problem. Physician Brian Berman is a professor at the University of Maryland School of Medicine. We have a subgroup of patients who, through the trauma, get into a hyperinflammatory state. That's just part of the, the reaction to the trauma. Their immune system is not functioning the way they it could. And these are the ones in that situation who, if they can't bring that down to a normal level through their their methods of drugs and, and others. Those are the ones who go into septic shock and die. What do you have in your bag of tricks?
Dr. Berman's bag of tricks includes the emerging field of integrative medicine. It blends conventional health care with complementary techniques that are increasingly studied by the National Institutes of Health. They range from herbal remedies to meditation, from the ultra-thin needles of acupuncture to the physical postures of yoga, all practices that have some proven health benefits. When utilized properly, they are quite safe. An estimated 4 in 10 American adults practice at least some of these techniques. In certain states, some integrative health services will be reimbursed under the Affordable Care Act. Integrative medicine professionals sort out which treatments work best for which conditions. But at the Shock Trauma Center in Baltimore, introducing integrative care was awkward, especially when an acupuncturist joined the staff. In the beginning, the reception with the, uh, the nurses were, was not exactly welcoming. He had to, they had no place for him to sit, no place for him to put his papers. After a couple of weeks of them seeing the results of reducing the inflammation, reducing the pain through acupuncture, part of what they were doing in this very busy trauma setting, everybody started to be much more on board. So you're saying a patient who's rushed to the hospital in a trauma context may receive treatment by an acupuncturist right there in the kind of emergency setting, and that that could calm the person down and dial down some of the uh, intense reactions. Exactly. That's what's happening. In addition to the acupuncture, we then started to train some of the nurses in the trauma setting where in therapies such as creating a healing space and a healing environment. And then they started to teach their patients about visualization, breathing, relaxation, Reiki, uh, healing technique, and bringing that right to the bedside. That is now part and parcel of what they're doing over in the trauma setting. This is the helipad on the roof atop the eighth floor of the shock trauma center on a hot summer morning. A woman in her late 80s sustained a fall with critical injuries has been airlifted here by a Maryland State Police chopper. The patient is transferred to a stretcher and backboarded with a collar on her neck. Awaiting her inside is a cluster of nine professionals, nurses, physicians, trauma technicians, and a paramedic who work to keep her alive. After an initial assessment, they quickly wheel the patient over for a CAT scan as blood streams from her nose. A registered nurse on the staff, Donna Audia, has witnessed countless patients with serious injuries. Gunshot wounds, uh, stabbings, spinal cord injuries, traumatic brain injuries or TBIs, orthopedic traumas such as pelvic fractures. And in the state of Maryland, patients know that when they come to shock trauma, they're really sick. It's a scene of emotional intensity where crucial medical decisions must be made rapidly and where life and death are often on the line. And amid this high anxiety, Donna consciously tries to be a healing presence and to be a calm, attentive listener, a role central to treating the whole person. So you already have a patient knowing, oh my goodness, I must be dying if they're sending me there. A family knowing, oh my, it's really bad, they're going to shock trauma. And all of that emotion is carried over, and the staff absorbs that. 
it's not unusual for them to be the ones giving the bad news, the doctors, the nurses, the respiratory therapists, the secretaries. We even take care of the housekeepers because on a really bad day in shock trauma, when the only thing that they're doing is mopping up puddles of blood, you can imagine the way that you leave. Donna has worked as a recovery room nurse at the Shock Trauma Center. Now her duties there expanded to include an emphasis on integrative care. She tries to be supportive of both patients and staff, all of whom may be hurting. This includes performing a therapeutic technique known as Reiki, which is rooted in Japan. It involves very light touch or no touch by a practitioner whose aim is to provide healing compassion to the recipient. There's little formal research on Reiki, but many patients say it can be deeply relaxing. Several told me it noticeably reduced their experience of physical pain. In the United States, we think that we're, we deliver the best medical care that exists in the world, and in some ways we do, but in some ways we can learn from, from other people. The Cowley Shock Trauma Center that Dr. Tom Scalia heads in Baltimore fully deploys the armamentarium of high-tech modern medicine and sophisticated pharmaceuticals. But these techniques often produce unwanted side effects and can be deeply and uncomfortably invasive, a key reason tens of millions of Americans turn to some form of integrative care. Dr. Scalia. I was traveling in, in China and... Uh one of the people in our delegation developed a pretty bad soft tissue infection. And I went to my host and said, well, we need to open this and drain it. Maybe we could arrange to do that at your hospital. And he looked at me like I was silly, like operate on that? And I said, yeah. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. They had a herbal remedy. They used ultrasonography. And that, that thing magically went away. And in the United States, we would have opened that up and drained it. And this guy resolved in about three days using completely different techniques. And I've just been very, very impressed at some of the critical care technologies that are used elsewhere that, we, that are very, very different. And that are typically less expensive than American health care. Reliance on high-tech medical equipment at U.S. hospitals is a major driver of skyrocketing costs, the colossal problem that health care reform seeks to tame. This is a, the highest tech place in the country. There's a higher percentage of ICU beds out of total beds than there is anywhere else that I, that I know. And so people come in expecting many bells and whistles, and they get many bells and whistles. And so if you go into some people and you say that you, that you have some alternatives that are not highly technically oriented, I am sure that there are some people that look at you like you got three heads. Um, we're not going to force anybody to to do things, but the nursing staff here is our greatest friend because they will spend time with the patients, they will spend time with the families. We say, we know you're going to need this medication, but we also know that there's some spiritual and emotional pain that goes along with being a trauma patient, and that's what we can use this integrative therapies for.
Nurse Donna Audio. When I come in, I just introduce myself as Donna. I'm here for relaxation. You can throw me out anytime. And then I ask them to tell me their story. And it's interesting because throughout the entire hospital, they start off with their injuries because that's what they're used to us telling them who they are. So I'll say, no, 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 I just want to know who you are. What makes you want to get up every morning? What do you love to do? And then I ask them, what are you afraid of? If I get called to the admitting area and they're still sobbing because of the car accident, those times I just hold a hand and let them know there's somebody here. When you're ready, I'm willing to talk to you. And I can listen. You're listening to The Search for Well-Being, a Humankind special series. I'm David Freudberg. At our website, we've compiled details about common techniques of integrative health care. You can also download audio or obtain a CD copy of this program. For all of this, please visit humanmedia.org. Actually, I didn't know I had any symptoms. My wife kept telling me I'm losing weight. And I said, you're crazy. So finally, she had me try on a suit I had at home. And to my surprise, it wasn't the suit that was made for me. That's Rick Shannis in Chicago. At his wife's urging, Rick visited a doctor who confirmed he'd lost 30 pounds. A blood test later showed a high level of protein in his system. This led to a CAT scan, which revealed Rick had a large mass around the abdominal and pelvic area. He was then diagnosed with mesothelioma, a rare form of cancer associated with exposure to asbestos. This is the 16th police district station in Chicago's Jefferson Park neighborhood. Rick served here as a Chicago police officer. In the year 2000, he retired because of illness after 33 years on the force. Where I worked, you know, with the old police stations, uh, had asbestos. My father was in the automotive business. Uh, There was a lot of asbestos products in those days that were used. The source of the uh, transfer of the asbestos could have come from his clothing to my mouth. It could have come from anywhere. The discovery of Rick's cancer at age 52 set him on an odyssey, an encounter with his own mortality. He was told his life expectancy would be 18 months. It also led him to an encounter with our health care system. Rick took several medications, including an experimental drug, which often left him bedridden with fatigue. But he outlived the prognosis, and by 2005, doctors said the tumor had stabilized. Then in 2011, an annual checkup showed the tumor size had slightly increased. He was referred to the University of Maryland Medical Center in Baltimore, where an initial surgery removed Rick's spleen and part of his stomach and pancreas. And I had to have a second major surgery. I had to have a colostomy. And a fistula happened on my other side of my body. What's a fistula? It's an injury um, associated with uh, the bowel. It could be caused by an instrument. It could be caused by over-manipulation of the bowel by the surgeon. It, It could just happen. 
So I remember having a bag on my right side of me, which was a colostomy, which they told me could be reversed because they didn't take out that much of my colon. And they, they thought that I could have the fistula repaired at some point in time. I had maybe 10 or 12 clinical washouts. I was down in the OR another six or eight times for that. And my overall physical condition started to diminish. Rick's body was unable to retain solid food, so he was fed through a tube. As the complications mounted, Rick was now in a full-blown medical crisis. He entered the Cowley Shock Trauma Center, whose staff we heard from earlier. I mean, I was in some incredible pain. I, I, I have such a big scar and opening that had to be closed down the center of my chest along my left side and my right side that I couldn't push the morphine button fast enough to receive another small dose to kill the pain. This went on for weeks. It was in this period that Rick Shannis became familiar with some of the techniques of integrative medicine in which healthcare providers aim to increase the patient's comfort. They would introduce me to a combination of different scents, aromas, aromatherapy. And when the pain got too immense, you know, I would just take a whiff of flowers or different wonderful scents, combinations of scents. And my mind, you know, would, would, it would divert the pain is what it would do. And it gave me a sense of uh, tranquility, for lack of a better word. Aromatherapy uses essential oils from flowers, leaves, fruits, and barks. Smelling these scents can powerfully affect a person's mood and may even help with some physical conditions. Not only did I have uh, the uh, aroma treatment, but then uh, they introduced me uh, to massages, foot massages, what I had. And again, thinking about my feet and my toes and my heels and my ankles. And so the foot massage would help with the pain? Oh, my God, yes, it would. You know, again, it felt great. And it diverted my mind from, from, from what the body was feeling. Music therapy. Oh, that was another part of my... Of, uh, there was a wonderful woman. She would come in. The first time I met her, she had a harp. And I remember it didn't matter what she played. It was how she played. The musician who wheeled her big harp right to the bedside of Rick Shannis was Carol Joy Loeb, whose performance we're hearing. For someone lying miserable in a hospital, therapeutic music can be soothing. It can lower a patient's level of anxiety and fear. And I lay back, and I closed my eyes, and I was magically taken, almost an out-of-body experience. That's how far removed I was from the pain for the time she was there. Sometimes I actually fell asleep. And we got to be pretty good friends. Always requested her when she was around.
One integrative technique Rick Shannis especially remembers from his time as a patient at the Shock Trauma Center in Baltimore is when he received manual treatments which involve very light touch. For some patients, this can help induce a state of deep calm and relaxation. Nurse Donna Audia believes there is a natural force of healing and compassion. Tapping into it, she says, becoming an instrument of healing can aid health professionals in caring for their patients. I open myself up to receive the unconditional love. So as a vessel, it can kind of come through me. And that's really hard. I, it's, it's a very hard concept for me to try to explain. So that's why I always say to patients, caregivers, doctors, nurses, whoever, if you just give me 10 minutes and I just put my hands on you. So you can throw me out of the room, you can tell me no, or you can say, wow, I got it. She would use her hands, you know, her fingers, and she would uh, go across my forehead, my back of my head, you know, my shoulders, my arms, especially my legs and my ankles. Um, Very relaxing. Oh my word, it was so relaxing, and again, diverted my mind away from the incredible pain I was in. Sometimes it's to decrease the anxiety because again, this is a very high stake surgical environment. So if I can reduce the anxiety of the patient, we know that on a physical, physiological level, that we're gonna decrease all those catecholamines, all of the cytokines, we're gonna decrease- The stress hormones. Yeah, and by doing that, the body's natural healing can take place. And she accompanied me down to radiology on a couple of occasions. And they were attempted to put a tube down my nose, through my esophagus, down to my stomach. And Donna was right there with me. She had me. I felt her presence. She held me. I remember her instructions. She said, just listen to my voice. So I trusted her. And she kept saying, you're doing fine, relax, you know, in words of encouragement. But I would never have attempted to do this if she wasn't there. It's been more than 13 years since Rick Shannis, the retired Chicago policeman who benefited from integrative therapies, was diagnosed with mesothelioma. He does suffer some pain due to nerve damage experienced in surgery, and doctors told him that may be permanent. Today, Rick says his energy is good. One thing I've appreciated in my practice is that a lot of patients are coming to me with other um, modalities that they've tried, whether it's it's herbal medication. Um, some have, have, have been interested in acupuncture. Um, a lot of my patients are looking into meditation and spirituality. And as a physician, one thing that I've, I've learned that I have to do is really respect that, um, although that wasn't my training. But if it's about taking care of that patient, um, what I do is say, you know, this is, this is really interesting. Let me look into it. In New York City, Carla Booten Foster is an internist and associate professor at Weill Cornell Medical College. 
Her experience mirrors that of many physicians. Patient demand is pushing healthcare to a greater openness to integrative practice. And in Dr. Booten Foster's case, patient enthusiasm was close to home. My mom and my family, I'm, I'm Haitian, um, and we use a lot of herbs and plants to treat ailments. So my mother, actually, when she was diagnosed with diabetes, she said, my doctor gave me this, but I'm not taking it because you doctors don't know what you're talking about. So I said, okay, and that's nice to say to your daughter. But then she had a bag. She had almonds. She had um, aloe vera. And then when I started looking all these things, well, yeah, there was some association with lowering your glucose, lowering stress. So my mother travels with a bag of plants that she boils and drinks. You tell her you have a pain, she has a plant in her bag for that. And so my relationship and my um, experience with my mother um, has made me much more sensitive to the fact that my patients are using things that I did not prescribe, that I do not know about, but I need to ask. The medicinal use of certain herbs, as well as some foods and culinary spices, goes back literally thousands of years. Patients today are not only relying on alternatives to conventional treatment, they're also covering the cost, mostly out of pocket. In the latest year studied, Americans spent nearly $34 billion for integrative health. Many pay extra for alternatives because they feel they've hit a wall with conventional medical care. They can perceive the system as offering little more than tests, surgery, and drugs, which sometimes carry harsh side effects. Call your doctor if your depression worsens or you have unusual changes in mood, behavior, or thoughts of suicide. Antidepressants can increase these in children, teens, and young adults. In some cases, extreme high blood sugar can lead to coma or death. Other risks include dizziness upon standing. Drug manufacturers are required in their commercials to disclose potential side effects of their products. Of course, some pharmaceutical medicines are powerfully effective, can give patients dramatic relief and even be life-saving. But some medicines are ineffective and can be harmful. And there's another critique of conventional health care's heavy dependence on drugs. I think we do treat symptoms with, uh, with our modern medicine approach. Physician Brian Berman directs the University of Maryland Center for Integrative Medicine. We treat symptoms, we treat diseases, um, but we often don't go to the functioning. So in, let's say, traditional Chinese medicine, they would talk about patterns of disharmony. So they would say that, you know, if five of us in this room have uh, chronic headaches, each one may have a different pattern of disharmony, that their symptoms and their signs, what's going on in their pulse and their physiology is different. So each one would get an individualized, different approach from the other. We don't t- tend to break that out in, in conventional Western medicine. We tend to say, here's somebody with migraine headaches. So here are the first drugs, the second drugs, the third line drugs that we would give. Instead of trying to tailor it to that individual in in front of us. Which medical conditions respond best to integrative care? I think the uh, many of the chronic uh, pain problems, such as chronic lower back pain, fibromyalgia, chronic headaches, migraine headaches, uh, carpal tunnel syndrome, respond uh, very well. It has to be individualized for the individual, but but very well. Um, I think uh, many of the uh, children's uh, problems, like recurrent 
infections, recurrent otitis media, recurrent tonsillitis, you know, bronchitis uh, also respond very well, as do some of the allergies like eczema, um, asthma, problems like, like this. And why do you think you've just named a broad range of conditions? Why do those respond particularly well to integrative approaches? Well, you have a chance with an integrative approach to look a little bit under the hood, so to speak. So the chronic fatigue or the chronic pain, you're not just reaching and saying, let me give you a drug for this particular ailment. Let's see what is the, uh, what, what's causing these symptoms in the first place. Dr. Brian Berman, professor of family medicine and director of the University of Maryland Center for Integrative Medicine. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg, studio recording by Antonio Oliart-Rose, editorial assistance from Susan Bauer-Wu, Lisa Mullins, Dr. Leo Stolbach, David McDevitt, Mark Kilstein, Thomas Royal, and Kathy Graham. Webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to harpist Carol Joy Loeb and to Tony Buck. Our program is presented by Human Media in association with Connie Goldman Productions. Program development provided by Shart Media. To purchase a CD copy of this program, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. That's 1-800-5-L-I-S-T-E-N. Or visit our website where you can also obtain an audio download of this and our other programs and can hear selected episodes free. You can access free written materials related to this program as well. Our web address is humanmedia.org. Again, if you'd like to purchase a CD copy of Humankind by phone, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. And our web address is humanmedia.org. This segment, part one of The Search for Well-Being, is Humankind Program number 198. The executive producer is David Freudberg. This is Humankind.